And welcome to Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter. And I'm Kevin. And we're continuing our series on Christology 101 about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Kevin, this Sunday, we started a new Bible study at church. I use the term Bible study loosely because <laughs> we're actually doing a book study. Ugh. But it's Pastor Will Whedon's book, which listeners oh. of our podcast would be familiar with him. He's been on here before, and he'll be on here in a couple of weeks when we have a special series we'll be releasing. But we started his book, and we're going through it. Give thanks, pray, praise, and obey. I can't remember the order. It's it's all all, all good stuff. But during the pro par, during that process, we read a passage in Second Corinthians. And I heard it, I was like, ooh, I bet that's a good Christology passage. So, yeah, because it talks about Jesus and who he is. And it kind of fits the theme of, whoa, there's some weird stuff going on here, which we've kind of been. (laughs) Christology and weird stuff. Yeah, it's like, well, that's an interesting way to talk about Jesus. So I thought that we would take that passage for our text today on this podcast and begin discussing there. And I don't know if this is a normal passage people go to for Christology if it's not normal. And so we'll just work through this and you can tell me all about it, Kevin. Does that sound good? That sounds good. Okay. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 4 and I'm going to start at verse 3 just because. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, Kevin, why do you think this jumped out to me as like a possible Christology one? Well, it has a lot of talk about Jesus and God and glory and image and knowledge and face. (laughs) Yes, all those key words are there. Those seem to be words that talk about Jesus and God. If Google ever starts listening to podcasts and categorizing audio files based on key words... You've just done a good we job it, yes. of, of search engine optimization for us here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is my goal in life is to be optimized by a search engine. <laughs> you live a sad, sad life. I don't even know what that would mean. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, that's there were a bunch of things in here. Image of God, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, Jesus Christ as Lord, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I'm thinking... Hey, this is kind of the stuff that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks as we as we've gone through this series. So, is this a good Christology one hundred and one passage? Well, yes and no. Um, it's not a classical text that the church has used to define Christology. Oh, it's not one of the okay. biggies, right? I mean, okay. it, it, it gets mentioned occasionally because because of the words we just mentioned, but it's not one of the texts you run to and say, "There it is." Um, but it certainly is a text that has a lot of the terms and a lot of the ideas through which we start thinking about how to talk about Christology. And again, we want to reiterate this, is that Christology is not a science that you apply to the scriptures. 
Okay. Christology is actually the church's continued desire and effort to confess what the scriptures teach us about Jesus. Hmm. Which is why, as we keep saying in every episode, most Christology is apophatic. It's saying what we do not see, what, we, what is yeah. not correct. That's right? our th- all theology so, is negative episode. Yeah, so yeah. because the scripture passages that talk about it do use similar terms and in similar ways, we can develop a positive Christology. There is one person with two natures, and those natures are human and divine, and we have ways to talk about those things. But mostly what happens in Christology is you read a passage like this, you're saying, oh, so what you're saying is, and we go, well, <laughs> not exactly. So this is one of the passages that we can read and start asking questions of Christology from. What does this mean? How does this fit into the rest of Scripture that uses words like image of God, uh, the face of Christ, or the face of God, the glory of God, um, Jesus Christ as Lord, which is an interesting term. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do those things mean? And and what we want to do in any passages like this that you run across is you're reading the scriptures for devotions or whatever, you run across a passage that mentions Jesus and God or something that, that makes you think Christological thoughts, is try to find other passages that use those words and try to think how does that fit? How, do we, how does the New Testament present to us Christ, Jesus Christ, as, again, your guiding principles in all Christological thoughts, one person, two natures. One person, two natures. You can't have two peoples. <laughs> you can't have one nature. You can't have three natures. You can't have four natures. You have one person, two natures. Now, those two natures are human and divine. He is 100% divine, 100% human. You don't get to mix them. Yeah. No mixing and matching. Okay? <laughs> so that's your Christological principle is how does this fit into the church's confession that Jesus Christ is one person with two natures, human and divine. So we read this passage and we say, okay, is this presenting Jesus as one person or are there two different Jesuses running around here? Hmm. Okay. So we proclaim ourselves, not ourselves, sorry. Hmm. <laughs> we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus's sake. So are there are two different Jesuses here. They're proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and then another Jesus that they're servants of. Nope, can't do that. And you read Paul and you go, no, that's not what Paul would do. Paul and also grammatically in that sentence, there's no reason to do that. There's no real reason to do that. There's, yeah. no, there's no necessity to say there's two different Jesuses. This would make a lot of sense for us to be a parallel construction where they proclaim not themselves but Jesus as Lord and right the same parallel idea that that Paul is the servants of the church in Corinth for Jesus' sake. Those are totally parallel ideas where Jesus is the same person, same referent. Mm-hmm. So we have one Jesus. That's very clear from this passage. And then what are we doing with this? Well, this this term Jesus Christ, it's not his last name. Jesus Christ is not Jesus' full name, where Jesus is just his first name. Christ is his title, right? Yeah. So Jesus, Jesus is his name. Jesus the Christ is another way you could the Christ, say it. or if you're speaking English, if you're or well, that's really a lot of <laughs> Greek. But if you're speaking Hebrew, you would say Jesus the Messiah, because okay. Christ and Messiah are the same word. Christ is simply the Greek translation of the word Messiah, mm-hmm. which is a Hebrew word, right? Mm-hmm. In English, we would say 
the one who is anointed. Oh, sure. Okay, so the Greek the Greek word Christ is from the verb to anoint, right? And the Hebrew word Messiah is from the verb anoint. You say right as if I know this already, Kevin. Oh, I, I don't. Okay, well, that's true. So you, you just or, deal with or, it. Or as if I know the Hebrew or something. <laughs> right. I, I don't. Well, it is. Okay. okay? So so then what, what we say Somebody else English, will have to fact check you on sure, that. Sure, look it Can up. Can somebody out there run this through Snopes? Yeah, because they know. <laughs> But you can look it up. This is this is not hard to find on the internet. Yeah. So Wikipedia might even get this right. They might even get this one right. So anointed one would actually be the English translation. But since we don't usually translate this, Jesus Christ has kind of kind of become his title. And the point of this that I'm getting at is when Paul says Jesus Christ, we know who that is. He's not making up a title for a guy we've never heard of. Mm-hmm. This is the Jesus who is presented to us in the the four gospels. This is the Jesus that is talked about throughout the New Testament, the Jesus that is preached in the book of Acts, the Jesus that's talked about in Paul's epistles, in Peter's writings, in John's epistles. It's all talking about the same Jesus. And we know this because they talk about this Jesus doing the same thing. Okay. Primarily his death and resurrection. Okay. So I know that seems like a long (laughs) way to say there's one Jesus. But you kind of got to make sure you're doing this. I mean, a lot of us read scripture and we assume so much that we actually can get confused. Yeah, sometimes. we we don't think through that process, and then when we get thrown a curveball somewhere, you're in a conversation with somebody who uh, has, I don't know, they're they're Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or right. even a Muslim, yeah, who have different, different views of Jesus, yeah, or other Christians who are speaking differently maybe they mean the same thing but they're using different words and different phrases and so you have to kind of dig down to find out okay do they actually mean the same thing as i do and they're just saying it in a different way if, if you skip and we talk about this don't take shortcuts right <laughs> and even as you're doing your own personal devotions it's not bad to stop especially with texts you've read a hundred times and actually ask questions hmm. like i i this is not a metaphor I was teaching at seminary today. Yes, that's that fun, happened. That was cool. Statement. Yeah, I was, I was allowed to do that today. So I was teaching a seminary class today, and I asked the seminarians, who is the God that Jesus talks about? You were teaching on John 18 and 19, right? I was. Yeah. But I probably was talking about just John in general at some point, because <laughs> I you, do that. You tend to do that, yes. I tend yes. to do that. So I said, You can't them, nail me down to one passage in John. I'm gonna go all over. Always. <laughs> um, so but it's it's an important question. Who is the God that Jesus talks about? He, Jesus is always talking about God, right? God this, God that. Mm-hmm. Kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is like that. God says and and you know, he says, My father. Well, who's he talking about? Like mm-hmm. and I know we've done this on the show before, but it's important for us to stop and ask these questions. So if you establish in the four Gospels that Jesus, the Jesus who is born of Mary, who is the Christ, who suffers and dies and rises, that Jesus, when he's talking about God, he's always talking about the God whose word is the Old Testament. Always. Mm. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. Always. So then you say, okay, now Paul wrote these books about God and about Jesus. Who's he talking about? <laughs> See, and, and what happens is you're actually asking the question of canon. Oh. A lot of people out there are like, why are these books included? You know, and it's like, well, it's because people just made, that's the voice I use for 
for um, shows that that dismiss all actual intellect and just make stuff up, <laughs> right? There's so, a whole channel of them. So the History Channel. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> pretty much. So this is your History they Channel They ask voice. these questions, like they're brilliant questions, like who chose these books? You know, and you're like, um, the church. <laughs> well, what gives them the right? And you're like, they're the church. <laughs> who else would choose books of scripture? What, do you want the non-church to Wait, choose Wait, do you want the books? atheist to pick the right. ones that you he want, thinks? You want the anti-Christians <laughs> to choose the book of Scripture that we're going to read? I mean, this is this is ludicrous. <laughs> so, and they're like, see, we got you. It's man-made because the church chose them. And you're going, you don't understand how this works. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why did the church choose these books? Not because they were inventing a new religion. Right. Because these are the books that confess the same God the same Christ, the same historical realities about God in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. the same promises of God. It's the same message. Well, but then they all voted on them. Right. And, and the majority, 51%. The Cardinals said, fans won out. No, that's not how it happened. That's... We're all voting for hold on, second hold Maccabees. On. You took this the wrong way, Kevin. It was supposed to go. Ah. See, and that's the problem is you start saying. But it was the Cubs fans that wanted John. No, they weren't. And we got him. It was the Cubs fans that, that didn't understand what John oh. was because it's too intelligent. For no, no, see, this is the point. It's you, you start saying stupid things about people because you start saying, well, you know, obviously they chose these books for these reasons. But no one actually takes seriously that maybe the reason these books of Scripture are put together is because they, they are the only books that mm-hmm. teach the same truth. Yeah, yep. And you go, well, well, what right does the church have to decide that? You say, well, maybe... The Holy Spirit that keeps us in the one true faith is the one that inspired these books. And the church is reading the words of Scripture, believing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the point is, and and says, when they read a text, they go, yes, that's the truth. And other texts they read and they go, oh, over here you have a different God. You even have a different Jesus. Hmm. Or you have a different purpose of your Jesus. And those books were the ones that we said, um, that's not the same truth. Okay. It could be a Gnostic theology. Yeah. It could be a dualistic theology. It could be a works righteousness theology, all kinds of things. And the church went, actually, matter of fact, there's, there's one book that is, everyone's like, this is great. This is scripture. We love it. Awesome. It just has a little problem with sexual laxity. Like, it's kind of okay with people having sex outside of marriage. Is the Song of Solomon? No. Because that's how can, Song of Solomon you guys gets can, used. You guys can look it up. And and so what happened is the church but is like, I have no idea what you're talking about really now. This is really pretty good, but we can't let it in. And it was actually, it was because they said this is not the same theology as the scriptures. Because it basically has a different teaching on the sixth commandment, essentially. Right. Which means it has a different teaching on other things. Yeah. Because this is all the same doctrine. So my point is, when you read this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you're actually supposed to ask questions like, is this the same God as the rest of Scripture? Is this the same Jesus as the rest of Scripture? And this is the Christological question. Is this the Jesus that is one person with two natures? Or are we learning something different about Jesus in this passage? And what we see is the language that Paul uses here is consistent language when Paul wants to talk about Jesus. And this is the important thing. So let's let's read it. 
Okay. It's so it says in verse five, no, verse four, sorry. Verse four. Go on. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's mm-hmm. a weird phrase. Yeah. In Greek, the word is icon. Ooh. Yes, that's the icon word. This is why we have icons. Yes, this is why certain churches have icons. Well, not because of this passage, but the <laughs> theology of icons, right? Sure. And an icon is is properly translate, translated as image. That's a fine translation. We're not questioning the translation. Sure. That's just the Greek word behind the translation, yep. right? Well, if you go to Colossians chapter 1, so we're in 2 Corinthians, so if you're, if you're playing along at home, 2 Corinthians, and then you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, which so we do encourage you to play along at please home. Please do, unless you're driving. If you're driving, th- which a lot of people listen to podcasts while they're driving yes, or running. So if you're <laughs> Run, running, running's you can, okay. You can stop and look yeah. this up. But Colossians one, I'm guessing it's fifteen ish. There it is. It hasn't, Ooh, there it hasn't moved. Yep, yep it's That's still good. there. Colossians one fifteen. Paul says talking about Jesus, because he's the son that has re- forgiven our sins above. He is the image of the invisible God. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Same word in Greek. Yep. Icon. Okay, so the point is, we're now establishing that this is a way that Paul talks about Jesus. He talks about him being the image of God. Okay, is the Colossians 1 passage a foundational Christology text? It's an important Christological text. Okay, so here's my question. Why isn't 2 Corinthians 4 an important Christological text? If it's using the same language, it's it's Paul talking consistently as he does elsewhere, it's consistent with the rest of Scripture, why isn't that one one of the big ones? It's got all the parts in there. Because when you look at the big Christological texts, they're, they're more than just a mention here and there. It's actually a, a developed passage that discusses Christ. Ah. So you look at Colossians 1 and 2, there's a lot about the person and work of Christ in there. You look at Philippians 2, there's a lot in those verses about the person and work of Christ. You look at um, other passages that you go to for Christology, you know, and then you look at the entire, and then honestly, and this, is, this sounds kind of strange, but the <laughs> entire Gospel of John. You're you're just saying that because you're Kevin. Well, and, and no, that's what Kevin, it's because it's John. That's your but, idiom. <laughs> but but in the same way, the entire body of the Synoptic Gospels. Hmm. See, like we don't just say this passage. No, it's the entire body of work. Okay. So this is one of those passages that it's got a lot of good stuff and it. it's kind of fun to say as a proof text, but it's not really a passage that develops this theology in such a way we could actually really dig down deep, whereas Colossians 1 and 2 would be a place you can really kind of dig down into what Paul's getting at, Philippians chapter 2. But again, remember, the most important Christological books we have are the four Gospels. They are literally books written about the person and work of Christ. <laughs> yeah. So we actually want to go there first. Okay. And and what we do is from the Gospels, we learn things about the person and work of Jesus. And then when Paul talks about as I just went through for the first 20 minutes, talking about that same Jesus, we see, oh, okay, Paul is describing this person that's described to us in the Gospels in these ways. So how does that help us as the church learn to talk about this Jesus of the Gospels in terms of the theology that Paul is teaching us? Okay, so I have a a statement and then a question then. 
So the statement, which might require further clarification, the reason we don't use Second Corinthians 4, 6, or all around there, as a primary Christological text is because within that passage, the terms aren't defined. So you have image of God, you have the glory of God in Christ Jesus, you, you have those, but there's not really a, you have to go somewhere else if you want to ask the question, what does this mean? Because it's right? not the point of Paul's argument to define the terms. Yeah, so in that passage, he's, he's going somewhere else with right. it. He goes into these jars of clay. Can we put flood in here for a yes. minute? Just single note. Uh, One uh, note. One for note five for the five minutes. <laughs> Millions of albums sold. Uh, should I, should I apologize to our listeners if they understand that reference, or is that okay? No, I'm it was a sh- shining moment of Christian music history <laughs> that never ended. Where the cool kids that thought that we were cool, <laughs> and just for a moment, the theology of glory won out, and we were the cool kids because <laughs> jars of clays are Christians. Yeah, but it's just that one song that just kept going, and, and then pretty soon you listened to the song itself, and you went, "Oh, <laughs> really." <laughs> or it was just, can we have a different note now? Oh, I, I saw them the diff- in concert. I, I actually, yeah, this is confession time. I actually like Jars of Clay a lot. I, I think yeah, their early albums are actually some great quite stuff. Good. They have a lot of good songs. Um, but I saw them in concert, and it was in concert when I realized that it literally is just one note. <laughs> the entire song. And it was like, okay, please stop. Please I can't stop. take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. It was a really fun concert, but... You just—it's just occasionally when you listen to music, and you just go, "Wait a minute, that's not brilliant." And you get it stuck in your head yes. so quickly. Oh, it's just and that it just one note. Stays. Anyway, okay, so Jesus. so we're we're talking in Second Corinthians. Paul is—he ends up in jars of clay after this, so he doesn't develop the thought. So that's that's why we're not going to that passage. I like how you said it. It it might cause you to have christological thoughts. Mm-hmm which is not a phrase I'd ever considered before, but now I kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Kevin, I had a Christological well, thought Christological today. Epiphany. What did you, what was your Christological thought today? I don't know. I had three yesterday. <laughs> so it, it might do that. Yeah. Okay. So, but the gospels are where we really need to go. Here's my question. In the gospels, Jesus never says he's God. Says you. Says my Muslim friend, says my maybe my Mormon friends, my Jehovah's Witnesses friends certainly do. Uh, even some other Christians who are, I don't know, maybe they're of a different variety or they just believe differently. There's no phrase where Jesus comes out and says, I am God, at least in that that way. So, okay, how do we work through that? If nothing else, you are going to hear people make this claim. I mean, you, you'll see it yeah. all over in popular culture, especially. Jesus never claimed that he was God. We've spent all our time in Paul so far. Right. With a few references elsewhere. So, Kevin, if you're going to say, let's go to the synoptics. Well, like I said, it's it's not one. You're not going to find the verse where Jesus, is said, or Jesus walks up and says, okay, guys, here's the deal. I'm one person with two natures. I'm divine and human. Get over it. He doesn't say that. Okay, so isn't that a problem for us? No. <laughs> Shouldn't I, I should be concerned now, Kevin, because all this stuff that we've been talking about the last few weeks, Jesus doesn't come out and say it. No, he doesn't. And, and you know, I'm not going to answer for why or how, but the point is is that the Holy, the Holy Scriptures, the, the four Gospels, we'll just stick with the four Gospels, 
in the history of reading those four Gospels, the conclusion has always been that this man, Jesus, is presented by the Gospel writers as God in the flesh, that he himself believed that he was God in the flesh, that his resurrection proves his claim to be God in the flesh, and that the, the cross itself is God's plan for the salvation of humanity, and that plan was enacted by God himself dying on the cross. This is clear from the Old Testament. This is clear from the way that the New Testament presents Jesus. And actually, when you understand that and then read the words of Jesus himself, he is actually saying this over and over and over again. Um, one of the, the wonderful things that you learn by hanging out with smart people, <laughs> which, is, which is a really wonderful thing to do. Yes. It's I better try, to hang out with people who are smarter than you. Yeah, I try, That's why I hang out with you. And, and I try to hang out with people who are smarter than me all the time because I'm not that smart. <laughs> so, But one of the really wonderful things you learn is that Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't walk around saying, hey, I'm Yahweh. That wasn't your History Channel voice. That was a right. different voice. That was a different voice. <laughs> um, I have voices in my head. But what he does do is he often says things that the people who are listening kind of stop and say, wait a minute, that's what Yahweh says. Hmm. Or that's what Yahweh does. I think my my favorite examples, I don't know if favorite's the right word, but the ones that immediately come to mind are basically every time the Jews try to stone him. Yeah. When, whenever they pick up stones and say, okay, now we're going to kill you, that is... Always, I'm going to say always, unless you can find an exception, always a situation in which they understand him to be claiming to be God. Yeah. And, and they're like, okay, we're going to stone you now. They don't, they don't do it for anything else. But when he claims to be God, or they understand him to be claiming that, they pick up stones. So, and the, and the most obvious place you want to go to for that is John 8. Where wait wait we're back in John again always well wow, that didn't take so, long so the gospel that presents Jesus as God the most clearly is the gospel of John so in John one one the word is God mm-hmm. and then in John one fourteen the word becomes flesh and dwells among us so he's clearly the word is Jesus and mm-hmm. Jesus is God and then one eighteen again Jesus is explicitly God mm-hmm. okay and then in twenty twenty eight Jesus is called my Lord and my God. Yeah, Thomas. So says those that. are all the places. Those are three places where all scholars agree that there are explicit references to Jesus being divine. Mm-hmm. Even people who don't want to believe the Bible is true will say yes. John presents Jesus as God, and those three places are the most important places where he says it. Okay. So my initial question was a little bit of a then trick because I asked where does Jesus right. himself so then you say, say it. so this where is, does yeah. Jesus say it and understanding that the point of John is to teach us this you go to places like John eight fifty eight okay which is cleverly placed at the end of chapter eight and the Jews are arguing with Jesus about who he is literally because he's claiming God is his father. Mm-hmm. which they are not okay with for their, for several reasons. <laughs> and then he says, well, Abraham, who you claim to be your father, talking to the Jews, 
he was glad to see my my day. He looked forward to it and he rejoiced when he saw it. And the Jews are like, what connection do you have with Abraham? <laughs> You're not even 50 years old and Abraham has been dead for 2,000 years. <laughs> and Jesus says, well, before Abraham was, I am. Mm-hmm. And they said, um, if you keep claiming to be God, we're going to kill you. Yeah. Actually, they didn't even they even say it. They just picked they just up picked stones. up the stones. They picked up stones to kill him. Yeah, it's like he, he says that, and they're like, "All right, everybody, pick up a stone." Right. This is blasphemy. The yeah. point is, this is blasphemy. They didn't even respond to him. They just don't, went straight to the stones. You don't say that. Yeah. Because you are now saying things that only Yahweh says. Mm-hmm. And so the real question for Jesus in the Gospel of John is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Hmm. And the answer is, he'll just keep saying it. I am. Well, John, I am the bread of life. John even says, hey, here's why I wrote this gospel. Right. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you think you are? Oh, it's right there. Right. He believes he's the Son of <laughs> it's God. It's like John was actually and, writing with a purpose here. And so what happened, that's the point, is the New Testament scriptures are written in order that we might believe this about Jesus. Not to tell us a nice story about this guy, nice guy named Jesus who told us to be nice to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what a lot of people think. <laughs> you haven't read the Bible. This is not a nice story. This ends bloody, naked, shameful, and Jesus is not on the side of good at the end. He is the religious authorities, cast him out as an outlaw, the Roman authorities cast him out as an outlaw. It does not end with Jesus saying, yay, everybody nice to each other. No, we end with a dead Messiah. That's what we end with in the Gospels. And if you take so, the short ending of Mark, you end with the really dead, dead Messiah and everybody running and away. Scared. <laughs> <laughs> and the end. Wait. But what? See, that's the point is the Gospels are written. Every Everybody thinks they're written about something else, but the reality of the Gospels is they're getting us to the cross. And when the closer you get to the cross, the more you're going to hear Jesus saying things that make you say, who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Who has the authority over the temple? Well, read what Jesus does during Holy Week. He starts teaching in the temple. He starts cleansing the temple. He starts cursing fig trees. He starts telling the Jew, the disciples that they can do certain things and can't do certain things. And even the disciples start saying, whoa, what are you saying? <laughs> right? Because they're all, it's ramping up when he walks in Jerusalem, when he rides in Jerusalem on a donkey and they start hailing him as the one who has come to save the people of God in Israel, in Jerusalem. And he starts doing things like cleansing the temple. They're like, who do you think you are? Hmm. And they start, and now listen to this. So the chief priest then, so he's on trial and they're like, well, the high priest said, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? I mean, that's that's kind of explicit right there. <laughs> yeah. Who do you think you are? And this is Jesus' response. I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's all they need to kill him. Is that the point at which they tear the, the high priest tears his robes? So the high priest tore his garments and said, yeah. what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. Yep. 
<laughs> because what's happening is he's alluding to Daniel 7 and all the other texts that talk about the coming of Yahweh in the flesh as the Son of Man. And what happens is he's he's invoking this entire theology of Yahweh visiting his people and this, this heavenly throne room scene from Daniel. And everybody knows that the Messiah is going to be the judge at the end of time. So they're like, are you claiming to be the Messiah? Yes. Okay, maybe we can deal with that. Are you claiming to be the son of the Blessed One? Yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you're claiming to be that entire scene? And Jesus says, yeah, that's me. I'm all of it. And they say, that's all we needed to hear. Because yeah. you are claiming to be God. And that's why they kill him. So if you don't want to think that Jesus is saying he's God, his opponents certainly hear him saying he's God. Mm-hmm. John chapter 5. They're like, hey, you can't be healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, why not? My father's working. If he's working, why I can't be working? And you know what it says? It says, at that point, they're like, no, 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 because you are making yourself equal to God. See, you might not hear him saying he's God, but all of his opponents in the Gospels heard him saying it loud and clear. And that is why they finally crucify him. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually the way you want to approach this to say, you know what, you're right. There's no place where Jesus walked around and said, hey, everybody, I'm Yahweh. But when you read the Gospels, as the whole ministry of Jesus, you actually hear him saying it all over the place. In Mark, he walks by the boat as they're they're on the sea, whatever, and he's walking on water. Oh, wait a minute. Who walks on water? <laughs> and what you realize is that in the Old Testament, God is the one who walks on water. God is the one who has power to calm storms. God is the one who does these things. And, and you start reading it and you say, oh, Jesus' whole ministry... He's doing all these things and saying all these things that only belong in the mouth of God. So then you hear John 10, and he says, I am the good shepherd. And you say, whoa, 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 I've read the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, God says, I will come. Yahweh says, I will come and be the shepherd for my sheep. So it's really like the answer to this, if somebody is making this claim you're you're having a conversation hopefully not an internet fight um but say your your brother your sister your your friend is hanging out and you're having this conversation it's almost like the the answer to this accusation or whatever that jesus never claimed to be god is biblical literacy (laughs) yeah and that's the problem is is everybody wants one quick verse first Peter three twenty one baptism now saves see i got you boom done no, but that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't Mike actually dropped. work that way. And and this is really kind of the point even of this podcast is to walk into a larger world in which it's not scary because the larger it gets, the more we are brought into this understanding of the whole church's experience with these texts. We're not just reading one text and making stuff up. We're walking around in these texts for years, reading the entire scope of the writing, not just of the texts we have, also of the texts that we've rejected, mm. by the way. <laughs> it's not like we find these texts and biblical scholars go, what? <laughs> I had no idea. No, come on. We know That's these texts part exist. of this? We know they're out there. We've read them. It's not a big, it's not scary. We're like, yeah, read it. It's weird. Why but would I, you? It's like, it's like saying, hey, I was watching the, the Major League Baseball playoffs 
and then I turn the channel and India and Pakistan are playing this other game. I think we should call that baseball too. <laughs> and a major league baseball player is like, yeah, I know what they're doing. It's not baseball. That's cricket. And you say, no, 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 no. I think you're just, it's just the people who like baseball have won out and labeled that cricket. But in reality, it's baseball. And you go, no, no, no. It, okay. Yeah, there are similarities. And yes, maybe back in the day, there were some times you could maybe say one drive from another. But the reality is, that's not baseball. It just isn't. And and just because you want it to be, and you don't want to offend the cricket player by calling them cricket players because nobody wants to be a chirpy insect, it doesn't <laughs> actually make it baseball. And and this is kind of the idea is that and these if, if texts, And if you're going to go with the dominant culture and the dominant culture won out, well, the British Empire was pretty dominant for a long time. Right. And cricket comes from there. And, and the other reality is if you went over there and said, you're playing baseball, they'd be like, uh, no, we're not. We're playing cricket. I mean, they they right. don't want to be playing baseball, and that's the other thing is, is these texts were not written to to say they're being Orthodox Christian. They were like, no, we're teaching something different over here. Yeah, we want to teach Gnosticism, and and getting back to Second Corinthians four, what this all means is that when Paul says that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, Kyrios is the New Testament term for Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So when Paul says that, you better pay attention that he, Jesus is the one in charge of all things, and he is the very image of God. Now, image of God is a very human term. Hmm? Image of God is tied to the creation of humanity. Oh, sure, because Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. Right. Yes, okay. So now we are getting to incarnational language about Jesus. Ah. But see, the thing is, is that being the icon of God, the image of God, he reflects the glory, and this is one last thing, then we'll go, the glory of the face of God. Now, when you hear face of God in the New Testament, you have to understand in the Old Testament, to say you're in the presence of somebody, would say you would say you're, you were before their face. Okay. So when it says that Christ is the glory of the face of God or glory in the face of God, however you want to say it, this is actually talking about the presence of God. And that when you see Jesus, you are seeing God. And in the, the Old Testament, if you saw God, you died. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament, now you can see God in Christ. In Christ, and you actually live. Yeah. Ooh. I like that. So he is the exact representation of God's being. Mm -hmm. And in Colossians, if you keep reading, it says that in Jesus dwells the fullness of the deity. Have we covered that passage yet? We've mentioned it. Yeah. So now we have the image of God, which is a very creation human thingy, with the fullness of the deity dwelling in him. That's Christology. One person, two natures, divine and human, all for your salvation. And that's the crucial conversation. But before we go, if you guys have Bible passages that cause you to think Christological thoughts, we'd love for you to send them in. We'd love to discuss them and kind of talk through them like we did here. If there's other ones where you're wondering, is this a foundational Christological passage? I mean, this is kind of what I'm doing throughout the week as we're preparing for the podcast. It'd be great if those of you who are listening, if you have your own thoughts, you want to share Bible passages with us, that would be awesome. There's several different ways you can do that. 
questions at crucialproductions.org is the email address. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Send us messages there. Look for Crucial Productions or go to our website, crucialproductions.org. And there is a button at the top to ask a question. Send those in. We'd love to discuss the Bible passages you're reading and thinking about as well, particularly in the context of this Christology 101 series that we are in the midst of. So, Kevin, any final thoughts on that? Nope. But but you like answering questions too, right? Send us questions, send us thoughts, <laughs> send us comments. If, you've, if you're confused about anything we've said or if it's like, wait, Ask. hold on, what do you mean by that? We would love to answer those questions yeah, too. Anything, so anytime. please do send them in. All right. You guys have a great week. Bye. See ya.